Hello for lover, you've tuned into Pacific Waves from RNZ Pacific. Coming up. So it's been 19 days since we started the restoration. Let there be light. Power is restored in most parts of Efate Island at Vanuatu. Also, with three deputy prime ministers, it allows the prime minister to delegate responsibilities. Fiji's deputy prime minister talks business while in New Zealand. And later on, he has been the uh, Prime Minister just for two years, but he has done a lot for Tonga. We take a look back at the life and legacy of Tonga's former Prime Minister, the late Pohiva Tui Onetoa. The island of Efate in Vanuatu has 72% of its power back after a complete blackout from Cyclones Kevin and Judy. A team of electricians from New Caledonia has been restoring power in Vanuatu's capital, Port Vila, and its surrounding villages. Managing Director of the Electricians, Frederick Petit, told Jan Kahoot that repairs should be complete next week. Tell me, how's the situation in Port Vila at the moment in terms of electricity? How long have you have you got to go? Uh, yesterday I sent my 19th daily report, so it's been 19, 90 days since we started the restoration. Uh, for FIT Island, we've got 72% of the customer back to power. Uh, and we are, uh, we were yesterday at 65% of the uh, low voltage lines that are supplying customers that were repaired. Most of Port Villa and uh, Ramiros are back to, to normal in terms of the north, the, the line to the north of the island, we've got major damages on the high voltage lines and we are working on it. We are expecting uh, that we should be uh, clear for Port Villa surrounding areas such as uh, Pango Village, Yarako Village, Eratap, uh, Bukua, Davis Point, Mele Village. We should be fine uh, end of next week. That's our best estimation. Um, though we've got heavy rains, we, we had heavy rains yesterday and today, and this is not easing the, 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 the works. Can you just explain to me why was FIT so badly affected? What did the cyclone do? Did it just rip apart the electric poles? Okay, so um, first of all, we had two Category 4 cyclones within two days. A smash and then uh, a uppercut just after after it, the first cyclone, TC Judy, has really damaged the uh, LV lines, but not the poles, more the line to the poles. And it was because most of the vegetation was, was destroyed. So we, we had trees falling down on the lines, uh, branches just uh, hanging, and then because it was so heavy, uh, the, the lines fell down. And we had not that much uh, poles down. Unfortunately, two days later, we had TC Kevin, also a Category 4 cyclone, and this has really made damage. That one has made damage, and uh, we had many poles down, either HV poles or LV poles. Both cyclones did not damage anything at the powerhouses. We've got two, and they, they were... Uh, we, we stopped them during the night of Kevin, but uh, they, the, the, the very next day they were on again. 
and uh, all the infrastructure are own, and the, the the water supply, the water, the pumping station, all the tanks were were owned the very same day after Kevin. So uh, no, the infrastructure accepted the, uh, the, the 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 electricity grid were not affected at all. Right, and probably the most urgent uh, need of power is probably the hospital, um, which was probably one of the first that you, you must have done to, to repair. Yes, yes, the, 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 the hospital, the Villa Central Hospital was supplied the very same day after, well, after Judy, and well, it was again after Kevin, but the very same day it was on, and something which is, more important maybe than hospital and um, I'm maybe a bit sorry about that it's the water supply water supply after a cyclone is essential you, you can live a few days a few weeks without power but without water it's it's a big 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 distress and and uh, the very same day we had water back and uh, in the two areas that were fed by uh, some uh, pump station that were isolated. We've deployed a genset on one and uh, quickly fixed the, the, the line to, to supply the, the booster pumps. So uh, within two days, all the water was restored, treated and tested. One of the three Fiji Deputy Prime Ministers, Manoa Kamikamida, was in New Zealand last week to encourage New Zealand investment in his country. While here, Don Wiseman caught up with him for a wide-ranging chat. They touched on this matter of the three deputies and the government's plans to only remove some of the onerous media laws brought in by the Bainimarama administration. But Mr Kamikamida began by reflecting on the outcome of his week, touting the merits of investing in a range of sectors in Fiji. There is a lot of interest, of course, in uh, doing business in Fiji. What we have to do is actually... As with as uh, as what happens with these things, these are normally initial engagements, and then there is a pipeline to run down once we get back in country. What sort of businesses, Deputy Prime Minister? Varied. Some businesses are in uh, renewable energy. Some are looking at uh, agricultural opportunity. Some IT businesses as well, which uh, are sort of uh, fitting rather well into Fiji. Would like to play. Uh, we we've got uh, major potential investment in in renewable energy affordable housing construction. There were quite a few players that uh, wanted to talk about that and also uh, agriculture and uh, technology. All right, let's look at just one of those then if we can, renewable energy. What are we talking about specifically? Yeah, so uh, in renewable energy, probably the best way to explain it is we only have about 50% renewable energy concentration at the moment, planning to shift the dial significantly, hopefully up to 80% in the next uh, 5 to 10 years. And so uh, there is significant opportunity in that space for for hydropower opportunities, for solar opportunities, solar slash hydrogen opportunities as well. So that was part of the uh, the reason we were making the rounds, uh, just to find out uh, if there was uh, interest. As you know, um, New Zealand has excellent uh, expertise in, in renewable energies, uh, so uh, was uh, a good fit for us uh, coming here. All right. Look, I want to talk to you about the media decree. I know there's been a lot of discussion just in yeah. recent days over this, and your oh. government has indicated it's ready to repeal some of it. 
but the media industry, I think, across the board in Fiji wants it all to go because they've been under very onerous conditions for the past 16 yeah. years and they yeah. want them all gone. Sure. So what's going to yeah. happen? Yeah, no, thank you. The, the, there were actually there have been two main consultations. Uh, I'm, I'm actually the Minister of Communications as well, so you're asking the right uh, minister. So um, there's been two consultations. The first involved just uh, editors, and at that meeting there was discussion around two options, uh, repeal or substantively uh, amend the Act. There were really just two uh, areas of the Act that uh, that initial meeting felt that should be retained. One of them was the foreign ownership side of that Act. So I get back in country next week. I, I couldn't uh, attend the consultation yesterday. So, um, you know, uh, we I hope to get a fuller briefing when I get back and uh, just make an assessment on what uh, What's required? I think the, the the important thing to emphasize is the parts that were initially we were talking about to repeal is what's actually is uh, in contention, eh? which was the content regulation, which uh, basically muffled uh, press freedom in Fiji, eh? and so. That's already going to go. So the other areas of concern uh, to me can be discussed. This particular government uh, believes in consultation. So, um, you know, the consultation has happened. Uh, we will uh, we'll go back and understand the context of the discussions and then uh, take it to cabinet for approval based on uh, whatever is recommended through the Solicitor General's office. Yes, well, there are another two aspects within some of what you have just said there. Right. Certainly the companies themselves, yeah. They do not want these restrictions on foreign ownership. They say that Correct. they need the potential to be able to bring foreign investors in because of technology and all of this sort of thing, and that's vital for them. They're also yeah. concerned about the independent registration. They think that this is a leftover from the days of the Bainimarama regime, and they don't oh. want it. And yeah. the other thing is, will the Media Council be re-established to run things? Yeah, the, the Media Council uh, does not need uh, any act. Eh? We are hoping that the media will self-regulate, so that's uh, clear. So, uh, you know, that, that uh, I think the media uh, owners as well as the uh, editors are committed to uh, introducing the self-regulation. In terms of uh, those two aspects of the act that you correctly mentioned, uh, like I said, I'll, uh, as soon as I get back in country, I, uh, I'll uh, have a chat to the Solicitor General, who was part of the consultation and ministerial officials and then we'll make some decisions but you know like I said we hear what the industry is saying we'll make some assessments and uh, and make a final decision yeah Mr. Kamakamitha if I can just ask uh, one last question sure. and it's something that's mystified me since since the election and the three deputy prime ministers how's that going is it working out all right answer that in a couple of ways. Initially, there was only a plan for two deputy prime ministers, uh, as per my understanding, which was Honorable Biman Prasad and Naboka. The prime minister thought it fit that I should be one of the third one, so that's why I'm there. So I really serve at his pleasure. It's not something that I sought out to do, but uh, you know, I'm wondering that he's uh, tasked me with that responsibility. Uh, in terms of the uh, three deputy prime ministers, to be honest, the amount of mess that we're finding at the moment in government... Uh, 
from the former government uh, needs all hands on deck. And uh, I think with three deputy prime ministers, it allows the prime minister to delegate responsibilities as you see fit and, and ensure that uh, the wheels of business, of government business, uh, keep on turning smoothly. In terms of our relationship amongst us, we are on the phone every day, either by Viber or email. It's a working arrangement, which is working well, in my opinion. I personally know both gentlemen quite well. Uh, and respect them greatly in terms of what they've achieved in their professional life. So overall, I think it's been a wise decision by our Prime Minister. Uh, like I said, I, was, I wasn't expecting to be named as one of them. But uh, I accept with honour and uh, serve at his pleasure. If he finds that two Prime Ministers are appropriate, I'm quite happy to step down. It's, uh, it's not a big deal to be going on. Is there a ranking? Do you have uh, first, second and third Deputy Prime uh, Minister? Put it this way, we all uh, work together uh, in terms of you know, in terms of uh, the, the role, and basically you consider each other equals in terms of our work. Uh, and from that perspective, it's a very healthy arrangement. Former Tongan Prime Minister Bohiva Tuionetoa, who passed away more than a week ago, is being acknowledged for his contributions to the kingdom. He will be laid to rest in Tonga on a date yet to be confirmed next month. Final Funor reports. Bohiva Dui Onodoa came to power in 2019, following the sudden death of the late Prime Minister Akalisu Bohiva, after which Dui Onodoa was subsequently elected. The church minister, who passed away at the age of 71, only served as Tonga's Prime Minister for two years, but created just as much controversy as any of his predecessors. He was accused of nepotism and corruption and was often criticised for mixing religion with politics. Daimi Tonga editor Galafi Moala says Tuyone Doa became unpopular among many of his political peers, which eventually led to him leaving his own party. He was highly controversial, to put it quite plainly. And so this, this uh, brought a lot of questioning to Otherwise, great things he could have, you know, he probably did, you know. Uh, we as media in Tonga had a problem with him concerning a lot of decisions he made. He gave awards and contracts to companies that were run by his friends or his relatives or, or those that were in his cabinet. And like the whole issue of the national fasting that was done, why he did that, he couldn't explain. But despite the fallouts, Dui Onodoa maintained the support of his constituency and was re-elected into parliament in the 2021 general election, although he lost his seat as prime minister. Controversy would continue to follow him, however. Last year, he was convicted of corruption after a petition was filed against him by opposition MPs. The charges were later dismissed by court. Former MP Sangstar Saulala says Dui Onodoa was supportive of the current government despite his political differences. After the uh, electing of the new prime minister in 2021, he, he didn't have, he had this ill feeling towards the uh, prime minister government. He still, he, he still supported the government because he believed uh, that's the only way we can uh, have a national or economic development is working together. We have more in and also more in population. But if we still work together, despite a different view or political view, well, we still have to work together to build our country. And I think that's something that will be remembered by 
both of the politicians. Contrary to critics, Saulala says Dui Onodoa's religious policies, such as introducing a monthly day of prayer and fasting, had the support of most people, indicated by the fact that the policy has been continued by the current government. Saulala says Dui Onodoa commenced a number of crucial infrastructure projects focusing on improving Tonga's roads and housing. He says Dui Onodoa's legacy was controversial but positive. He has been the uh, prime minister just for two years, but he has done a lot for Tonga. One of the history he made was he's the first commoner to be elected from the rural areas in Tonga. Areas to have somebody elected as a prime minister of Tonga. Uh, during his uh, time as a prime minister is when the COVID outbreak and he was supposed to make decisions to close down our borders and he also started this uh, monthly national prayer and fasting, which is just to help with uh, what's happening in Tonga, in the world. And Tonga was COVID-free for all during his, his uh, time as Prime Minister, because he believes in the motto of our country, God and Tonga inheritance. For Dui Onedoa's family, the man is remembered as a workaholic who formed and sustained personal relationships with many of his constituents. His legacy has been smeared by opposition on social media. One Tongan media outlet headlined Tui Onodoa as a disgraced former MP. His legacy has been the subject of heavy criticism on social media. One Tongan media outlet headlined Tui Onodoa as a disgraced former PM. Tui Onodoa's daughter says the family had been warned by her father upon his deathbed that personal attacks would mount after his passing. As a political figure, of course, there is the opposition side, I guess you could say that. But we don't we don't let that get to us. He reminded us before he passed away to just expect, you know, the opposition is going to be strong, but you guys just keep walking forward, it's okay. Tonga's Prime Minister Siosi Sovelini Huakava Meiliku told RNZ that Dui Onodoa would be missed. That's Pacific Waves for today. To listen back, head over to rnzi.com slash programs or download for free to your device from Spotify, iHeart or Apple Podcasts. From myself and the team that made this episode a great one yet, till fast way forward.